0: Welcome to the Super Novice Adventure Podcast, where I talk about my creative journey and the things that I'm currently working on, as well as try to give a few tips and tricks whenever I stumble across one. This week, I currently have no idea what I'm doing, but if it makes you feel any better, it's not much different than any other week. But that being said, (laughs) and let's talk about what today's topic is. Booyah. So let's kind of get into the meat and potatoes of what today's chapter is all about. I did a bit of research trying to come up with a good idea for how to map out a few things that I won't actually i don't have a true plan for them i actually don't even have a visual of most of the places besides a very baseline detail like one D D campaign that i have a notion of running inspired by a bit of visual novel and that one is set in a mountain with um with japanese style mass and so therefore i really only have two things that i have in my mind japanese style um decor and even maybe theming as well as set in a mountain maybe not directly in a mountain but in a mountain range which explains why they're a nice chunk isolated but that's it. That's all I have. And that's where me sitting down to want to getting to mapping has come in. So this last week, I've been slowly but surely writing notes on just things that make up mapping, things that are mapping in and of itself and some basic information that I can come across. Um, I actually ended up finding a few pieces of info that surprised me, as well as uh, some really interesting just basics. So without further ado, let's get into the basics of mapping and, you know, what they are. I think a g- a good way to talk about the basics of mapping is to really just understand what mapping is for so for me as a dungeon master mapping is really important for giving my players a layout of the town that they're currently in um, when i tell them about the town a map of the world when they want to go traveling from one place to another and a bit of a bit of understanding of a dungeon or a room or a house that they may be in points of interest that they may have, so on and so forth. So it's always really good to have a map whether or not it be fully fleshed out or not that's up to you about how much you want to want to get into certain details, but it is really good to just have one just to start yourself off. And so, uh, actually a great example of just talking about maps is that maps are also used in other things. You have actual cartography, which is done for real life people exploring the world um but you also have that being used to sell you on a fantasy novel when a fantasy novel is placing you in a new world that you've never heard of and never seen for yourself because well it literally came out of one person's skull you can have that fantasy novel have a level of realism by giving it a map and making that map matter. And even um, fantasy novels that are set in the real world, you can still use a map to change how everything works around. I was listening to somebody talk mad crap about Divergent and the uh, series thereafter, but essentially What happens in Divergent is that the map of Divergent is set in Detroit and they literally turn the lake into a swamp. And because of the fact that they turn the lake into a swamp, first off, that takes hundreds, around hundreds of years to do that on a small body of water. And then the fact that it was done on just Lake Michigan, like it was nothing in such a short period of time, So many questions, but the idea of the map being used to help lay out the world and where you are and everything and how it works really does sell a lot. So that's where maps can really come in handy when you want to talk about your fantasy world or give a person reading it something to kind of gnaw on. And maps don't have to come first. They can come second after you've talked about this, or they can be built as you talk about things. One of the key things I, I seen several times when uh, I was looking at maps relating to D&D and other tabletops was that your map should not have to be 100% complete because of the fact that, well, a good map leaves a little bit of room for mystery even when it's complete. And that's kind of the point. It's like you wanted to have that feeling of, hey, there's a real world here. What else is there? So with that said, let's get into the kind of meat of, well, just how to make a map and, oh boy, have you ever literally tried drawing a map maps can be really hard, especially when you try to get in the details and the information, whether or not it be a map of your own house or a map of an entire continent or planet. They are by far some of the more difficult things. And I can definitely point to me using essentially a piece of paper and pen as the reason why it was so hard for me, but that is not always the case. Now, the material that you use to draw your map can help and it can help understand what the guidelines are um there's a couple of guidelines i did come across but i'll save that for a later episode so that way i don't bog this episode down with rules that may not apply so let's just get into the material first things first you need something to draw your map on so what should it be should you just grab a random piece of printer paper? Well, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with grabbing a piece of printer paper, printer paper, and drawing out that map. The thing about printer paper is though, is that there's nothing to help guide you. So if you don't have a keen eye and a lot of awareness, uh, you may end up making mistakes that you don't plan on making. And those mistakes could just be because of the fact that you dropped something when you wasn't expe- expecting to, and it was supposed to be level. When you're doing something big, like a continent, not really that big a deal. But when you're doing something small, like a house, that can feel to you like a huge thing that kind of gets in the way. So I got a lifesaver for you. Whenever you're drawing your house, you can grab yourself some simple grid paper. Grid paper is easy to find. You can get your hands on it pretty much anywhere. Art supply store or um, bookstores, even a lot of your local convenience stores. I've seen journals that have a grid paper layout. So... It's not really all that hard to get your hands on grid paper in almost any fashion, whether it be just straight grid paper, which is relatively get your hands on as just the grid paper itself, or grid paper within a binding, which can actually work out pretty well. I find grid paper to be the best when I'm working on buildings. It's what I started with when I made my first a uh, campaign a la 100% myself. I took Galarian's Rion and Galarian's Ash, and I essentially made a sequel to that and ran that using a lot of the stuff that was happening in Galarian's Rion. And no joke, the grid paper that everybody I everybody was seeing for the rooms that they were in was pretty much how I writ, how I drawn everything out. So, grid paper, it's bonuses is the fact that if you need to do a straight line for a wall, easy, peasy, lemon squeezy. And they're super easy to line out how much space is in between a b and c so you can take your grid paper say that each square is five feet five hundred feet five thousand feet whatever and it's relatively easy to throw that stuff down the only downside about grid paper is that it feels really organized and can sometimes lose a little bit of that organic feel so whenever you're working on things that May not be organic, say like a cave or a dirt path, you can feel almost locked into how the grid works instead of come up with something yourself. Just a food for thought. The thing that does feel a little bit more organic, but is horribly hard to get your hands on though, is hex grids. I have not seen any hex grid paper out there i've been able to make my own um using another thing that's on this list which i will bring up when it's time and hex hex grids um they're a little bit easier to find on the internet you can find a 3d map maker that allows you to switch it to hex grids normally that is not the first thing that comes up ironically though hex grids are the oldest format hex grids go back to days of old war games and even early in D, &D where people use hex grids as their primary way to show where people were in the world nowadays hex grids are mostly used in games like warhammer 40k and other more Uh, table war simulation type games hex grids tend to get relegated away from actual tabletop (laughs) rpgs because of the fact that in most cases it's it because it is a little bit harder to mentally get your head around for some people it is a little bit harder to understand with a straight up square grid there's four directions north south east west you don't really have a question about where you want to go and trying to angle the information that you're trying to get at with hex grids it's six directions and so therefore it loses that cart that cartesianal i think that's the right word i have no idea that it loses that, that Cartesian feel and kind of just falls into like a weird level of mundanity and makes it a little bit more difficult to just keep your head around. Um, even um, when you decide to go in a full nine grid with the grid paper, it's still easier to explain that to a player and get them to get their head around that. The thing about hexes though, is that they're great. Absolutely great. When you're trying to do something way bigger, hex grids are without a doubt, regardless of the player type and how well they can understand when moving across it on a battlefield, when it's just their character, when they're talking about moving across a large swath of land, a, a something bigger than a town, so maybe a continent or a regional map or even a world map, when you're looking at a hex grid, it is a whole lot easier for them to understand where they are and the next place that they want to move to. And it it helps them keep track of everything. And it also allows them to just see things as more of a connecting dot than just a north, south, east, west, which almost feels like a, a straight line. It feels too organized in that category. So that's where I feel Hex Grids really shine right now is that giving the player the option to see a world map as a world on the opposite side of that when you want to show them a close-up view of the world i feel i feel that this new one that i just found out about isometric grids are great for that now mind you during my little bit of research i just came across this And isometric, for people that are uninitiated, isometric is a point of view where both of the vanishing points of the object that you're looking at never touch the actual horizon. It is on a 45-degree angle, so it's a perfect square on its side, and nothing ever nothing none of the parallel lines ever come together nothing ever goes into horizon so they all always stay on that beautiful little lining i feel that this one is great great for smaller areas if you want your player to visually get into a town um give them an isometric view of the map. Whether it be a great drawing or a relatively low render, it doesn't matter because they'll understand what they're looking at and from where. A good example is the tower that is clearly visible from the front of the town is a whole lot easier to show the players If you give them a small map that's isometric and you can very clearly see the top of the tower, even though it's on the other side of the town or the middle of the town. And it is it is weird that I'm recommending this one because I just found out about it. No joke. During my research, I was reading somebody talk about isometric and I come across that option in one of my map makers. I was like, oh my God, that is perfect. Also, besides just like showing a small town as a legitimately intimate little place, I feel that isometric works on anything smaller than a town. So When you go to build a house and you want to show like how rooms are laid out isometric works perfect for that. You can show each, um, room with exception of one wall with no issue whatsoever. You can do the same thing with dungeons where you can show each room with exception of one wall with no problem whatsoever. And it's just a really interesting point of view that you can give to your players. I really like it. It is really awesome. I, I really want to try more stuff with this. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So I almost completely forgot about my final one. This is the one I hinted at before with the hexes dot grids. Um dot grids are very interesting because of the fact that they are the second most common to find grid types. I can find that paper no problem. Grid paper, dot grid paper, I can find. Dot grid paper though, I can't find in big sheets as easily, but I can still find it in art supply stores your daily Day to day bookstores and so on and so forth, as long as as long as they have more of a um, architectural uh, paper type in their group of papers, you can probably find the dot grid dot grids. They are the same as grid paper when it comes down to visual information that you can give. But one of the things that makes them stand out is that you get to choose how you want to lay it out. So if you want something to be a two square on one page, uh, a two square representation on one page, a one square representation on another, and a 12 square representation on another, that's relatively easy to do on a dot grid. Even better is that when you decide to get into the nitty gritty, If say you are a more art, um, artistic person, um, or artistically inclined person, let me put it that way, because you got to be artistic. If you're going to be a master, I swear to God, I'm going to go insane talking to myself. So dot grid paper dot grid paper is by far one of the best things you can do especially if you are a little bit more artistically inclined and you want to show off more of the area, then have these lines going through it. Dot grids still allow you to have that level of range. So you can say that a one square by one square is uh, not a one square by one square, but, uh, every other dot is 10 feet, then that is really easy for you to display that. You don't have to do a ton just to display that. And that by far is the best part. You can do that without needing to do so much. And therefore you can keep everything at about the same level and keep the render pretty. So you can render that room out. And then on the other side of rendering that room out, you can just go cool. Now that the room is rendered out and my players can see where they are, they don't have to ask me, Oh, how many squares is that from here to here? It's like it's you it's on the paper. You can see it. Oh, it's the dots. Okay, cool. So yeah, I like dot paper. Um, and you even give you options to do whatever you want. You can all of these papers, you can write notes in corners and stuff like that. Um but the hex are a little bit easier to write notes in the corners because you know a straight line versus but there's nothing stopping you from just writing notes ever and yeah so yeah that's that's the materials to write on um now to the materials to write for i guess okay now i think it's time to talk about the world and anybody that doesn't know that reference is too young too young too young um so i think it's time to talk about the world what we're mapping to be more precise there's plenty of options when it comes down to mapping and all those paper options are great but if you don't know what you're going to map in the first place some those paper options can kind of leave you just blank and yes i know i didn't get into the materials that you use to draw with you use a pencil pen paper ink paint watercolors whatever it doesn't really matter like the thing that goes on top of the grid paper is really not the part that matters as much as choosing the grid paper for the type of map that you're trying to draw now what type of map are we drawing though Each one of them has like a bit of information that you can kind of gleam. And sometimes you can actually get some really interesting information when you want to draw different maps. This is where I could definitely say that I would probably end up talking more in depth in later episodes about each one. But just to kind of give a general idea, there's several locations that you can draw for a map. The first one would be the world. You can draw the entire world and in and its entirety. Most people don't do that because, well, most people don't have a concrete world that they have in mind. Most people draw multiple territories, continents, before they get into the world map. So, normally, it's the last thing that they draw. Next up, one step down from a world map would be a continent map. Now, this one doesn't have to be a full ocean-to-ocean continent, but as what would be considered a part of this continent. Um, I, I, actually, a great example of that would be of DD 5e currently everything on DD 5e is taking place on the sword coast and if anybody knows anything about the shadowfell region and all that stuff from previous dungeons and dragons you will notice that older maps will show you a lot of the forgotten realms And I'm talking a lot. Currently, D&D is showing off, I think, one-fifth of the continent. Like, they are focused on one-fifth of the continent of the Forgotten Realms. And that leaves a lot of stuff as you move more west. The more west and into the Forgotten Realms that you go, the more stuff that there is to go. That being said, when you're talking about a continent map, you don't need to show off the entire continent. If everything that you want to show right now is in one small section of the map, then, well, that's all you need. You don't need the rest. So remember, when you're doing a continent map, how much of the continent do you need to show? Do you need to show from ocean to ocean, or do you only need to show from one chunk to another? And that kind of also boils down to the regions, the next level down. What region is a part of what? Like I just said, d 5E is currently showing mostly the Sword Coast. Now, mind you, the Sword Coast is a region... And there's more stuff over to the right of that map, but to just understand the region that they're in, if I say the Sword Coast, you know what part of the map it is because, well, that's the name of that region. It has a lot of other things that are going on within it. It has a lot of other landmarks, other important pieces of information, but if I say the Star Desert or Cholt, you will know that I'm talking about a completely different region every single time because they are in different areas. Regions can be from territories that a current empire or a faction is controlling and that can take up large swaths of the map or a region could be as small as a section of islands that are considered one part in real life Hawaii is a bunch of small islands technically large islands but a bunch of islands that are put together and called Hawaii and you are looking at a bunch of islands and they are one region instead of multiple regions something of that nature you don't have to make it everything but it can be a very interesting part of your world now let's level down one more time let's get into the cities and towns cities towns they are two completely different beasts As a city, one has a lot more options than towns, and I would say villages, but villages is a completely different thing. When you're talking about cities and towns, towns you tend to have a decent amount of options in, but there's also specialty. So you'll get a farm town, you'll get a coal mining town, you'll get a town of log cutters and blacksmiths you'll get towns that have a specialty when within cities, you may have a lot of different towns, um, not towns. There are a lot of different specialties <laughs> like you would in multiple towns it'd, it'd be like 12 towns in one. That's how it works. But yes, you get these level of specialties and it gets really awesome. I say with a city, and especially a city map, you can go super, super granular, or you can just keep it kind of vague and large. One of the best way to put it is the idea of a city would have hundreds and thousands of people and each one of them Maybe be there for a very specific reason or just maybe a grunt that's a cog in a machine but the more people that there are the more things that can get fulfilled and the more people come to them to get those things fulfilled and need specialists in other fields so you'll very rarely have a city that is just purely a farming city or a coal mining city you'll normally have a city that is, yes, primarily a mining city, but because of the fact that they're a mining city, they have a lot of natural resources that they have available to them. And so they have a lot of blacksmiths that work out of there. They have a lot of tankers. They have a lot of alchemists. They have a lot of researchers, geological researchers. You also have a lot of thugs that come there and try to do underground deals because it's easier to ship things when they haven't been listed yet things like that you can do a lot more in a city than you can really in a town towns are a lot smaller they're a lot more intimate and when we're talking about size and scale for map making purposes a city would take up far more space than a town would in population, but might not necessarily take up more space in region. One of my favorite old towns that you could run from Dungeons and Dragons is Fallcrest. Fallcrest is a town that was built on the ruins of an old city. And the town itself is massive. When you just look at the town as a whole, it's about the same size as Waterdeep, if I remember right. And that's just a town. Like it it has far less people in there. You can get a few things, but you're not really gonna find nearly as many of, of much of a selection as you can in Waterdeep. and Waterdeep. The reason why? Population is a big change. That's why. So let's get even smaller, level that down one more time. Now we're gonna get into, (laughs) okay, so this is editor mode Hannibal. I completely forgot to mention villages. Villages are just a really small, intimate look at a few places. Villages very rarely have more than one of any particular thing so normally they'll have all their primary resources that you can get anything from in a relatively tight grasp without too much hassle the only real exception for having more than what they would have would be necessities farms you need more than one farm to feed a relatively large village But still, a village would house maybe 100 plus people. So you probably wouldn't have but so many farms. Villages are really interesting in that term where you can actually take a lot of small things and just turn it into a village without too much hassle in terms of mapping. Mapping a village can more or less just be... Pointing at the primary points of interest, you don't need a lot of different things to go into. And honestly, it's relatively okay when most players don't pay attention to most of the villagers. You just need a bit of things. Back to the regular recorded scheduling program. And time to level that down yet again. (laughs) Housing and dungeons dungeons can be massive dungeons can be four week long ventures for the party in game or dungeons can be small few few minutes few hours in game but dungeons and houses have about the same thing going on a level of detail that is granular and important if I ever have a map for my players entering a house I don't plan on that just being there they they've got to have earned that and if I'm putting that much time and effort there's going to be something interesting to the world and therefore whether it be that you find out that the queen of the house is ha- technically having an affair with the busboy and the bus boy is not a boy (laughs) you you best believe that i'm not just making a map for a house to just do nothing with it's mostly because of the fact of time use right i don't have all time all the time in the world to come up with a map for a house so if i'm going to come up with a map for the house is going to represent this house that I want the players to see. I want them to be a part of, and then I want them to understand where they are. And if there is that going on, then I want it to speak as if somebody lived there. If four or five people lived there, what would happen when, I don't know, one person constantly was hiding something? They were constantly stashing an item. Would somebody have noticed? Would nobody have noticed? What happens when there's a common room or one of them doesn't trust the other one? Does that person that doesn't trust somebody snoop? Do they find something? Do they have stuff in their room when the adventuring party gets there? Putting that much time and effort into a room is almost insane. But the thing is, is that if I'm making a map for it, I might as well put in time and effort to make this not feel like just some random place that they walked into that I came up with off the top of my head. So, with that being said, same thing kind of goes for dungeons. Dungeons should have that level of mystery. One of my favorite things that I love is just the idea of rolling to see if there are secret rooms based off a percentile, like how many secret rooms would be in this dungeon of like seven rooms? Like would there, would one of those seven be a secret room or would none of them be a secret room? And I just love that idea because it really does get that across. It's like, this place is lived in. This place is a real place. If I roll a D6, to see if one of my seven rooms is a secret room and I get a six, then the players come into an area that seems like it is everything that it says it is. And from tooling around, the players may find out that it is nowhere near and it is a much deeper and more in depth area. And that's where that last bit of it can be. It can be really, really interesting. You can really breathe a little bit of extra life. And I think I forgot everything that I was supposed to say as my exit. So this has been the Supernovice Adventure Podcast. I am B. Hannibal. I have more notes on how to make a map coming up mostly because of the fact that i am really delving deep into this i want map making to be a skill that i have not conquered not mastered have so come back next time and we'll delve a little bit deeper into making dungeons and maps of all kinds for the world and for the terrain hope to see you there bye stay creative